0: second but uh, today it was obviously first and uh, my that was a blessing we uh, that uh, I love that and I hope those young ladies continue to sing with all their heart and bring the Lord honor and glory and hope you continue to encourage them uh, to do that Um, there the world wants young ladies like that and um, we want to keep them amen Amen. and uh, so let's uh, let's Let's pray for them. Let's meet in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Can we do that? 2 Corinthians chapter 12. I bring you tidings from the thriving metropolis of liberal Kansas. Home of Fellowship Baptist Church, Dorothy's House, and the International Pancake Race. I can see you're totally underwhelmed. All right, let's try this. How many of you like to eat beef? That's where it's at. All right. How many of you are wearing or have worn Nike shoes? All right. Chances are the beef that you ate, as a matter of fact, the chances are very good, unless those steaks were were, uh, homegrown and purchased locally. Uh, Chances are very good that the steaks that we ate yesterday came from liberal Kansas. And the chances are very, very good, even better, that the leather on your Nike shoes came from Liberal, Kansas. Liberal is home to national beef packing. Uh, That is the fourth largest beef packing plant in the nation. Uh, They process about 6,000 head of cattle a day. And um, they say that the leather on one out of every two pair of Nike shoes comes from our plant. So there, <laughs> we are not totally irrelevant. I talked to a, a brother here this morning and he said he misses running the roads through Southwest Kansas. He, uh, he, was a, uh, he hauled beef out of national beef, so he knows exactly what I'm talking about. And uh, I told the folks this morning, liberal is not the end of the world, but you can see it from there. Um, it is uh, in extreme Southwest Kansas, um, but I'm telling you, a little town of 20,000 people, um, but God established a church there in November of 1955, and uh, it's still going strong, and uh, as your pastor said, my uh, son is the pastor there now. I had the privilege of being in full-time ministry there, 19 is a staff member, 20 is the pastor, um, and uh, back in 2020, August 2020. Um, my wife and I felt led of the Lord, uh, transition out of pastoral ministry, and uh, now our son, Tyler, is, uh, who I've told, I've told folks already this morning, he is the real preacher in the family. Uh, you'll be blessed uh, next year, no doubt, but him and his sweet wife, Jenny Lee, um, are leading the ministry there now and, and doing exactly what I envisioned they would do. Um, as as we stepped aside, they are taking it to, to new heights, and I knew that uh, that they would, and uh, they're just doing a great job. And, and God has just really, God has just really put a miracle in in that little little community. Um, we 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 sit on Pancake Boulevard, and uh, so that tell you how flat it is. Um, but we love it there, it's home, I've, I was born there, I've, I've uh, lived there 63 years, and uh, Lord willing, we'll, uh, they'll bury us there someday, hopefully not too soon, um, but uh, God has been really, really good to us. Let me begin our time together this morning like this, there are three basic problems that are common to, to all of us. They are sorrow, sickness, and suffering. And as long as we live in this fallen world, we're going we're to have to continue to deal with all three of those things. Sometimes we will deal with them indirectly as they come into the lives of people that that we know and, and people that we love, and uh, I hope I'm not letting the cat out of the bag, but uh, at the end of the service, I believe the pastor is uh, going to share with you a, a little book that God allowed us to get published about two years ago uh, by this title, uh, How to Get Through What You'll Never Get Over. And one of the the things that we have found that 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 little book has allowed people to do is to avoid saying things, silly things, um, when we encounter people who are suffering, when people who have encountered loss, things like, well, God needed another angel, or God needed a fishing buddy, or God needed another flower in his garden. I mean, just really silly, hollow things that if you're on the receiving end of that and you've suffered the loss, um, I'm not going to say it's insulting, but it's insulting. It's like, seriously, you're telling me that God needed my son more than I needed my son uh, or my wife or my husband or my grandmother or my friend. The truth is this morning, God doesn't need anything. But here, here's, and I'll, I'll get off that, that soapbox, but here's what that little book has done. It has allowed people to reach out to their friends and say something like this. You know, I, I, I don't know what you're going through. I've never gone through what you're going through. But we had a man in our church who, who does, and God allowed him and his wife to, to put some of those things in print. I just want to give you this little book isn't that so much better than, than the silly things that, that we, we tend to say? So sometimes we're going we're to deal with uh, uh, sorrow, sickness, and suffering indirectly as it comes into the lives of, of those we know and love. And then sometimes, unfortunately, uh, there may come a time we, when we must deal with it directly as it comes into our lives. And such was the case with our family. Uh, back on February the 6th of 2018. It was a Tuesday night. It was about 7 o'clock. Um, I was sitting in, in, our, in my bed and, uh, in our room, and I don't know if I was reading or whatever I was doing. Katie was sitting out in the living room uh, in, uh, in one of the recliners, and I had my cell phone beside the bed, and my cell phone rang, and I looked down. And it said, Sheena. Well, that's our daughter-in-law, and I thought it was strange that she was calling me, so here's what I really thought. I really thought it was my son, TJ, and that he had left his phone in, in, a, in another deer stand somewhere, and so he's having to use his wife's phone, and uh, so I picked it up, and sure enough, it was, it was Sheena, and she said, is, is Katie there? And I said, yes. She said, can you get her? I need to talk to you guys. So I went out in the living room, I put the phone on hands-free, and uh, the first words out of Sheena's mouth through her tears were these, TJ is dead. No parent can ever be prepared for those words. He was working on his pickup in in the driveway, and in just a freak accident, um, he was uh, killed Uh, Instantly. TJ was 35 years old. He left behind his wife Sheena and three, as you can see there, three beautiful, beautiful daughters uh, Mallory Page, Ellie Grace, and Callie Mae. Mallory was seven at the time, Uh, Ellie was three, and Callie was just six months, almost seven. This is them now. I think we got a picture of them now. Now they are 11, 7, and 5. Not long after TJ's death, Katie and I began praying that God would bring a man into her life that would love her and love those girls and and lead them spiritually and be a godly man and it's just an amazing story how God brought Derek and his son Boston uh, into their lives. And I'll not go into all of that now. But, I mean, he had, God answered our prayer to the T. He loves Sheena. He loves those girls. They love him. He's a godly man. He's leading them spiritually. Um, he's not our TJ. He never will be our TJ. But if, if we could have handpicked a replacement, Derek would have been it. And they, they just, they're, they're doing wonderful, and again, it's just an amazing story of how God brought all of that together. There's so much that, that I would, would love to stand here and tell you today about, about our son, um, but suffice it to say that at the time of his death, and I mean this with all my heart, he was everything that a mom and dad could possibly hope one of their children would become. He wasn't perfect. I'm not saying that at all. But he loved God. And he loved his family. They served faithfully in the little church there in South Central Kansas where they lived. He enjoyed being a, a very successful businessman. He was very involved in their, in their little community. And truly, he was, he was just an all-around good guy. He was. To know TG, T.J. was a barber. Why? I have no idea what led him into barbering. <laughs> I have idea. Maybe he thought he could save guys like me. I don't know. Um, but he was a barber. And uh, being a barber, um, he, he knew everything, a little uh, something about everything. You need him to be a politician, he'd be a politician. Need him to be a sports guy, he'd be a sports guy. Need him to be a hunting guide, he could be a hunting guide. Need him to be a family counselor, he could be a family counselor. I mean, he's a barber. He, he talk, could talk about anything. To know T.J. was to love him. I mean, that picture probably, I mean, that's That's him. He just loved life, um, loved just being a clown and being silly, and um, he was just an incredible, incredible man. Very dear friend to me. And needless to say, that night changed our lives forever. And though the initial brokenness of our light uh, of our loss has subsided the shock waves of pain are something that that we continue to experience still experience and 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 in some ways we will we'll always experience at certain times during the year like thanksgiving and christmas and mother's day and father's day We'll feel them every December 3rd, his birthday, and every February the 6th for the rest of our lives. Let's read our text here in 2 Corinthians 12, and then we're going to look at a few things. Um, I'll not be able to address everything that's in the book. I hope you'll grab one of those books on your way out this morning. But I hope that, that what we do address this morning will be of help. So you begin reading in verse 1. Paul writes, it is not expedient, that word means profitable, beneficial, for me doubtless to glory I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I knew a man in Christ above 14 years ago or more than 14 years ago, whether in the body I cannot tell or whether out of the body I cannot tell, God knoweth, such an one caught up to the third heaven. And I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell, God knoweth. how that he was caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words, which it is not lawful for a man to utter. Of such in one will I glory, yet of myself I will not glory, but in mine infirmities. For though I would desire to glory, I shall not be a fool. For I will say the truth, but now I forbear lest any man should think of me above that which he seeth me to be or that he heareth of me. Verse 7, And lest I should be exalted above measure, through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing, this thorn in the flesh, and, and we don't know what it was, There's a lot of speculation about what it may have been, but really that's all it is. It's just speculation. Uh, Maybe God didn't tell us what it was uh, because he wanted perhaps to plug our own thorn in there. Who who knows? But but for this thing, Paul said that that he besought the Lord, he begged the Lord uh, thrice, three times that it might depart from him. And he said unto unto me, Paul said in verse 9, here's what God said to him. Here was his answer. My grace is sufficient for thee. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and necessities and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. The first thing that I want you to understand today with, with respect to the grief of loss is this. You don't have to get over it. Shortly following TJ's death, a a dear pastor friend of mine, Brother Dean Herring, uh, reached out to me. Brother Dean had also experienced a, a tragic loss in, uh, in, in his life of a grandson. And Brother Dean shared with me three simple statements that were so incredibly helpful to me at the time. He said, Brother Bill, He said, number one, he said, you don't have to get over it. He said, number two, you can't get over it. And perhaps the most comforting to me was this. God doesn't require you to get over it. Think think with me here. Assuming that Paul was afflicted with his thorn in the flesh immediately or soon after receiving the visions and the revelations that he talked about at the beginning of our text. That means that by the time he wrote this second letter to the Corinthians, he had dealt with it for 14 years. And I stand to be corrected this morning, but I don't read anywhere in the biblical record where God took that away from him. I don't don't read anywhere where God healed him or God helped him or, or, or God did anything with respect to this thorn other than make Paul deal with it for the rest of his life. And so I think you would agree with me this morning that he never got over it. He woke up every single day having to face this thorn, whatever it was. The concept of getting over it is a misleading and empty expectation. We get over breaks and sprains. We don't get over amputations. Not long ago, I was mowing our grass, and I was just, I just humming along like I do every week and had my, ear, my ear, earbuds in. I was listening to music, just mowing along, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, I step wrong, and, and, and I'm telling you, my ankle bent over, my foot bent over, my ankle touched the ground. Oh, I hadn't done that in ages, and I'm way too old to be doing that kind of stuff. And, man, I hit the ground, and I just sat there writhing in pain. I mean, it hurt. I was a baby. I didn't ask my wife. I didn't say anything to my wife because she would have said, get up. (laughs) So I just had pity on myself, and I was writhing in pain. I'm talking, preacher. It hurt bad. And for two or three minutes, I just sat there grabbing mine and go, oh. And, but, but, you know, finally I was able to get up. And, and I mean, it, it still hurt, and I was limping along. But, you know, finally I was able to straighten up a little bit, man up, what my wife would say. And able to walk, and I finished mowing the grass but let's say that I got a cut in my foot that got infected and that infection began spreading up my leg and the only way they could save my life was to amputate my leg just above the knee. How many of you would agree that that's not something I would just walk off? That's not something that I would ever get over. You know why? Why? Because a part of me was missing. And I would be reminded of that every single morning when I woke up. Even if I put a a, 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 a whatever the, a fake leg on. I'm not going to try to be fancy this morning. A
1: wooden leg, whatever.
0: And, and if you got one, I'm sorry. I don't mean to be disrespectful. But even if I did that, I would still be reminded because I'd have to put that on. Are you with me? You get over breaks and sprains. You don't get over amputations because a piece of you is missing. And when a piece of your life for 35 years is gone in an instant, you don't get over. I'm sorry, you do not get over that. Because you're reminded of it every morning when you get up. And you see their picture. And you see the family pictures. We haven't taken anything away from our house. We see him every day. And we are reminded of him every day. And they're good memories. They're wonderful memories. But I'm just telling you, don't get over something like that. I've heard it explained this way. We don't look at people around us who are enjoying life's, experiencing life's joys and tell them to get over it. For example, let's, let's say some of your friends are blessed with the birth of a child. And so you go to the store and you get a card and you fill out the card, write them a little note in there and you send it to them and you, or give it to them and you congratulate them on the birth of their child like we all would. Let's say it's five years later, and you're at home, you're going through the mail, and and, and there's a a card there, and so you open it, and, and you look at it, and it's an invitation to this kid's fifth birthday party. Who here would look at that and say, are you kidding me? Another birthday? Come on, man. Okay, we know you got a kid, you've had him for five years, you really just need to get over it. Who would do that? Nobody. We don't expect people to get over the birth of a child. So why should we expect them to get over the death of one? Or to get over any other kind of tragedy as far as that goes. Helping people understand that they don't have to get over it. We'll deliver them. Hopefully some of you perhaps this morning will be delivered from the unrealistic expectations of people who mean well. They really do. They really do. They mean well. But they have never walked your Jerry Sitzer lost his wife, his daughter, and his mother, all in the same car wreck. And in his book, A Grace Disguised, he writes this, Can anyone really expect to recover from such tragedy? Considering the value of what was lost and the consequences of that loss? Catastrophic loss, by definition, precludes recovery. It will transform us or destroy us, but it will never leave us the same. There is no going back to the past, which is gone forever, only going ahead to the future, which was yet to be discovered. Whatever that future is, it will and must include the pain of the past with it. Sorrow never entirely leaves the soul of those who have suffered a severe loss. If anything, it may keep going deeper. I mentioned my dear, front, my dear preacher friend, Dean Herring, who told me that I didn't have to get over the loss of our son. Here's something that he wrote on the anniversary of his grandson's death. The notion that suddenly or eventually the sorrow somehow dissipates is the fable that has been created by the empty slogans of people who have never suffered deep loss. Why do we feel ashamed of sorrow as though it's some leprous emotion? Why do we hide our tears when our Savior wept openly at the death of a friend? The ability to sorrow and weep is a gift from God And is a sure sign of a living heart and a greater love. The pain remains and the tears come like rogue waves. But God has somehow enabled us all to live through the unthinkable. We're here. We live on in our sorrow. And with our pain, we live in his grace. Isn't that good? So the first thing that I want you to take away from our time together this morning is this. And I hope it it will help you. You don't have to get over it. But here's the second truth. I don't don't want you to to rest. in Well, he said, I don't have to get over it. And and so I'm just going to stay all withdrawn. And I'm going to stay all angry. And I'm going to stay all bitter. Please understand, that's not what I'm saying this morning. Because here's the second truth today. You can get through it. Sometimes people speak of of someone getting over a loss as as though they're supposed to just move on like it never happened. You know, just shut the door behind you and and, and do your best to pretend the pain away. (laughs) But let me tell you something this morning. It's not that easy. I don't care who you are, how spiritual you are, how long you've walked with God. It's just not that easy. And that's not what I'm talking about when I talk about getting through. Here's what I'm talking about this morning. I'm talking about that time that eventually comes. And understand this, that time is not the same for everyone. I mean, think about it for a minute. Sheena had an intimacy with T.J., A kind of intimacy with him that nobody else had. She had an intimacy with him, a one-flesh intimacy with him like no one else. My wife carried him in her womb for nine months. She had a nine-month connection with that boy that nobody else in our family had. So the point that I'm making is, is that this this time when um, that eventually comes is not the same for everyone. It wasn't the same for Katie as it was for Sheena. It wasn't the same for me as it was for Katie. It wasn't the same for Tyler and Tiffany as it was for me and Katie. It's all different, so don't don't hound people. It's all different. But I'm talking about a time that, that eventually comes when someone accepts the horrible event that brought them so much grief and sorrow, and with the Lord's help, they find the strength to move forward in life despite the loss and pain. A sense of closure comes when someone finally allows themselves to accept the reality that what is done is done. And nothing will bring back the past or undo the hurt. And again, that time is not the same for everyone. Though he never got over his thorn in the flesh, Paul did get through it. That is he he did come to accept it and he did find the strength to move forward in life in spite of it. And 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 I believe that that we see that From his words in verse 9 where he said this, Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. And beyond that, we have have the story of Paul's life, all of his missionary journeys, all of his great preaching experiences, all of the, 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 the wonders that God did in his ministry. I think you would agree with me this morning that Paul was able to pick up and move on. Even though he carried that with him, he was still able to get through it. Now understand this acceptance of what has happened does not mean that everything is okay. It's not okay that we still have an empty chair at Thanksgiving. It's not okay. I'm sorry. It's not okay that there's an empty chair at Christmas. So it's not okay. But we are okay. And we're choosing to get through it even though we will never get over it. Does that make sense this morning? A third truth that I'll share with you is this. It's okay to ask why. The two the two things that people comment on the most when I share these things with folks, is number one, I'm so glad that I learned today that I don't have to get over it because I just can't. And the second thing they, they really appreciate is this truth. It's okay to ask why. Some have been led to believe incorrectly, in my opinion, that it's wrong. To ask why. But I submit to you this morning that God is not put off by our questions. I mean, go with me here. David questioned God numerous times in the Psalms when seeking for answers. He questioned God when it seemed that when God seemed to be distant. He questioned God when he felt forsaken by him. He questioned God when he, when he felt God had forgotten him. <laughs> there was even a time when David thought that maybe God had fallen asleep, and he asked him about it. He questioned God when he felt God was hiding from him. He questioned him when he felt like injustice was going to be permitted to go on unpunished. And beside David, Moses questioned God in Numbers chapter 11 as did Habakkuk in chapter 1, and Job, as we saw this morning, in chapter 7, the disciples in John chapter 9. And if those are not proof enough, all you've got to do is turn to Matthew chapter 27 and read the words of Jesus on the cross when he said, My God, my God, help me. Why hast thou forsaken me? If it's okay for the very Son of God to question His Father, then I think it's okay for you and I. We're not blaming God. There's a difference. We're questioning. Why? Why? God, why? To quote John Kitchen, said, why is the first and greatest word of the suffering soul? Our why questions allow us to go before our Heavenly Father and pour our heart Now, with that being said, let me say this. I believe there there is a danger in a persistent focus on why. Because the longer our question goes unanswered, the more it, it feeds a sense of entitlement. And as that sense of entitlement grows it usually leads to bitterness. Now the subject of bitterness is a whole sermon in itself. Let me just offer you a couple of thoughts here on how to keep from getting better. Excuse me, to keep from getting bitter. First of all, accept what cannot be changed. Our son is not coming back. He's gone. Forever. He's not coming home. He's not going to call me. He's not going to text me. He's gone. And there's not a person here, I believe there's not a person here who would not reverse the events of February 16th, 2018 if they could. Preacher, if I could bring him back for you, I would. I believe that. And if I could do something for you along those lines, I would do that. But we can't. He's not coming back. And that being the case, the best thing to do, and it's what Katie and I have have made the choice to do, is to focus on what's left and not what's lost. Now listen, that's not to say, you can probably tell this morning, that's not to say that we have forgotten T.J., We have not forgotten that boy. Not at all. So we're not moving on from him. We are moving on with him. He's on this journey with us. You see, getting through is about reliving the good memories We have so many good memories of life with him and refusing to let the painful ones drag us down. Sometimes we can let our painful memories so dominate our minds and our viewpoints that all of the good memories all but disappear as they get tucked away in some dark corner of our minds. So no, this is not about forgetting our son. It's about choosing not to let his death consume us. Because we still have a daughter-in-law And those three precious babies, and our son, and his wife, and their son, and our daughter, and our son-in-law, and their three sons, who need Grammy and Papa. (laughs) I was sitting right where your preachers sitting yesterday morning. Brother Skelly was preaching the last service, and my iPad started ringing. My my iPad never rings. I got that fixed last night at the hotel. It won't <laughs> ring again. But it did. I finally managed to thumb. You know, I was trying to look cool. You know, <laughs> I finally got it turned off, and then my phone started ringing. And I kept pushing it. It ring again. I kept pushing it. It ring again. And it was Tiffany, our daughter. And so I just text her. I said, in church, period, emergency, question mark. And it rung again and rung again. Five minutes later, I get this text. Ha, 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 it was Leroy. That's our, their middle son. She had run into the convenience store. And Leroy thought he needed to talk to Papa because he wanted not know where Papa was. It's <laughs> like, boy, Papa's in church. Don't do that. <laughs> do you understand what I'm saying? We can't get so wrapped up and, you know, for so long, preacher, I never understood how a death like ours, a loss like ours, could tear families apart. But now I do. Because we can get so wrapped up in what we've lost that we forget we still have other people left who need us and who love us. Listen, we don't ever want Tyler or Tiffany to get bitter at their brother's death because it's robbed their mom and dad from them and Grammy and Papa from their kids. So we have purposely chosen to focus on what we have left and and not what we've lost. Allowing ourselves to become consumed by the grief of our loss is going to rob them and others in our lives of the love and affection and attention that they need and that they rightly deserve. The last thing, as I said, that we want to happen is for them to to be bitter. Final truth that I'll share with you and then I'll, I'll wrap it up this morning. And it's awesome. And it's so true. It's not. I, listen, this is not just a bunch of preachers speak. I'm telling you, we've lived it, we are living it, and some of you have lived it, and you are living it, and you know this is true. God's grace is sufficient. The pain of losing our son was greater than, than I can even begin to describe. But the help that we have received from the Lord is greater than anything I could begin to explain. God said to Paul, my grace is sufficient for thee. I love the word sufficient. You know what that means? It means enough. Enough. Always And forever enough. It would be easier to dip a sponge into the Atlantic or the Pacific. And soak up all of the water. Than to exhaust God's supply of grace. It would be easier to suck the oxygen out of the atmosphere with a straw than it would be to exhaust God's supply of grace. Tis grace hath brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. When John Newton penned that promise, he did so out of personal experience. His greatest test came the day that he buried his wife, Mary. He loved her dearly and had prayed that that his death would precede hers, but his prayer was not answered. On the day Mary Newton died, John Newton found strength to preach a Sunday sermon. The next day, he visited church members, and later he officiated at his wife's funeral. He grieved, but in his grief, he found God's provision. And he would later write this, the Bank of England is too poor to compensate for such a loss. As mine. But the Lord, the all sufficient God, speaks and it is done. Let those who know Him and trust Him be of good courage. He can give them strength according to their day, He can increase their strength as their trials increase. And what He can do. He has promised that he will do. Thank God for his all-sufficient, amazing grace. Let me say this. Katie and I, and I told the folks in the Bible study time this morning, Katie and I still grieve the loss of our son. There are, there are days, there are times when we still grieve as though he died five days ago and not five years ago. But we don't grieve as those who have no hope. Our hope is in the reality of heaven And that our son is there and that one day we will see him again. Now listen, I know that everybody believes their loved ones in heaven. And I'm not just saying that we believe that. I've got something to base that on this morning. And it's not because he was a good son. It's not because he was uh, a good dad. It's not because he was a good husband. It's not because he was a good uh, community member. Our hope is not in the fact that he was raised in a preacher's home. He was raised in church, that he went to a Christian school, or that he was baptized. All of those things are are very praiseworthy and I'm glad they're all true about our son. But they are not why he's in heaven today. He's in heaven today because as a teenager he received the Lord Jesus Christ as his personal Lord and Savior. And I trust you've done that for yourself because nothing else you'll do today matters nothing else in life is more important than where you're going to spend eternity and if you're here this morning and you've never placed your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ you've never been saved you've never been born again If T.J. could talk to you from heaven today, he would say this, you need to be. And you need to be right now. Because if the death of our son proves anything, it proves that none of us are guaranteed another day. None of us are guaranteed another hour. Another minute, another breath. We don't have that guarantee. What is our life, James said, but a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away? 35 years is not very long on this earth. And by all accounts, TJ was gone. In a flash. He didn't even draw another breath. You need to be saved. Today. And we'd love to help you with that. And Pastor will tell you more about that in a moment. But let me say this to those who are saved. But if you're honest. You're still struggling to cope from day to day. With grief. I just want you to remember Paul's, God's uh, Paul, God's words to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. But how do we tap into that grace? Hebrews 4:16 tells us: let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy. And I love this. And find grace to help in time of need. You know, grace is such a hard thing to define. But in my mind, I look at grace like this it is God's supply for our every need when we need it. And if you need grace today, it's available. And God invites us to come boldly with confidence into his presence right now in this moment, in this place and ask for grace. And the Bible says that he'll give it. When we need grace to take another step or to live another day or to cope with another memory, Listen, we simply need to go to the Lord in prayer and ask for it. And God promises to give it to us every single time. If you believe the Bible this morning, say amen. Amen. Let's bow our heads. Pastor, you come. Musicians, you come. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this opportunity to stand in this pulpit where no doubt the truth is preached Every single time. God, I thank you for such a sweet church family, such a sweet spirit here. I thank you just for the experience that I've had to be a part of of this place for a few days. Lord, my heart has been helped. My heart is full. And I'm gonna go home with such joy That there's a church in Virginia, just like our church in Kansas. Who preaches the word and reaches people and loves people right where they're at. And God, I I know some stories because some folks have shared some stories with me already this weekend. God, there are no doubt as I've watched folks in the the message even. uh, This hit really close to home for some. God, they need you, or they just just need a special touch right now. And God, I pray that you would be everything to them right now that, that they've ever, ever believed you were. And God, do for them what they need done. God, I pray for anyone here today among us who's not experienced your grace and salvation. That today would be that day. Today, right now, would be the day of their salvation. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand to our feet this morning. I don't know what your church culture is. But I'd encourage you, if you know somebody who's hurting today, you know somebody who could just, could just use an arm around their shoulder right now or maybe a hug around their neck or... Maybe a word of prayer, I'd encourage you to go to them. You feel that of the Lord to do that? Just let him know, hey, we got you. We got you. We're here. This is what we're for. Preacher, you come.
1: Amen. Our personal workers are going to move in place at this time. And if you need to talk to someone, pray with someone, or someone pray with you. I appreciate Pastor Prater sharing the word with us this morning. And I agree with him that we are here for you. A church is a group of people who stand with others who are hurting and have needs. And that would be about all of us. And so if you have a need this morning, you need someone to pray with you, for you, whatever that need is, I'm going to be standing right down front. Our personal workers are making their way to their places. They're in front of you, behind you. If you don't want to come forward, yet you'd like to walk out and talk to someone privately, we'd love to pray with you saving grace or sustaining grace whatever your need is this morning the altar's open some folks are already praying and maybe you need Christ in your life you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior we'd love to introduce you today it's not a Baptist thing it's not a church thing it's not a preacher thing it's a Bible thing and God has made us promises in his word if we'll act on those promises he will give us what we need so while the team's going to sing that song amazing grace my chains are gone you might be here this morning and this is touched home and you need those chains of bondage to be broken whatever your need is would you talk to the Lord about what your need is today and if we can help you with that our folks are down in place and would love to do that I'll be right down front if you need to talk to me I'll be right down front Pastor Tim's going to lead us in that song amazing grace. If you know it, you can sing it. If you know someone who's hurting this morning, maybe pray for them this morning. And if you need to come and pray, you do what God leads you to do this morning. Tim.